Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Impact Church. If you're visiting with us, we are glad to have you in the house of the Lord today. Uh, we're a little light, but man, it's summer. I know people are traveling. Uh, I know Tim and Angie are enjoying the Gulf, the sun down there. So you guys are stuck with me for one more Sunday doing announcements. I'm sorry. I know, Tim, you guys are more used to Tim up here, but this is a chance for you guys to get to know me a little better as well. So if you guys haven't met me, if you don't know me, I'm the youth pastor here. My name's Jeremy Lee. Uh, tomorrow morning at 7.30 a.m., I'm taking, along with a couple other leaders, we're taking 35 teens down to camp tomorrow. So pray for me, pray for the teens. It's going to be a long week. It's going to be an enjoyable week. It's going to be a lot of fun, but very tiring at the same time. So just pray for sanity a little bit. Pray for the leader's sanity as we, you know, just take these teens down there. But with that being said, just a couple of announcements and then we'll get into worship time. Today we're supposed to do a cookout for the youth with this weather that's possibly coming, this thunderstorms and everything. We've canceled the cookout, but instead come join us at Monkey Joe's tonight from 5 to 6.30. Um, we'll have ice cream. We'll just hang out, do all this stuff. I know today's a little crazy with people trying to pack to get ready for camp. I know it's busy for me, um, things like that. So come join us tonight. And then next Sunday, youth will kind of get back on its normal schedule. So we'll, we'll meet a little bit more regularly, normal, things like that. But then also, starting next week, we have to start tearing up and setting, um, or tearing down, tearing up, setting up and tearing down the sanctuary here, or the cafeteria. So school is right around the corner for them. Uh, Bedford County starting a little earlier than they typically do. So the janitors need to do like a deep clean of the school and the cafeteria and everything like that. So starting next week, especially afterwards, so we can leave this all up today, but next week afterwards, we need a little bit more hands on deck after the service, stacking the chairs up, doing everything that we need to do, tearing the stage down, all the sound equipment down, and that will hopefully, hopefully we can push it off a little bit after next week, but we don't think that's going to be. I think starting next week, all the way through the school year until we are in the new building on the land, we're back to setting up and tearing down this room. So again, all hands on deck next week for that. Um, other than that, I don't think there's any other major announcements. I wasn't told of anything, so don't shoot the messenger, please. Thank you. But uh, with that being said, if there's any teens and leaders that are going to camp, can you guys just come up front? We're just going to pray over everyone that's going to camp. Um, again, we have a lot of teens that go to camp that don't come to church here. They go to other churches. They're friends of buddies that go to church here. So again, this is just a very small group of them that are going to camp. Again, so we have 35 of, or well, 40 of us going to camp, include, and then Brad and Stacy Bell are just going down. It's just a little extra hands, extra help for us down there. So we got 42 of us total going. So again, this is just a little snippet of what is going down there. So again, we just want to be able to pray that the Lord works, that the Lord just speaks to us, just teaches us, just uplifts us, and that we just come closer to know uh, who he is and our relationship with him is just stronger than ever. So Tony's going to pray for us, and then we're going to get right into worship right after that. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, God. Thank you that you are an awesome God that we serve, Father, and I thank you for these 
young people and young men and women who are going on this trip this week. God, we pray that you will just fill this this week with your spirit and your power, God. I thank you for what you're going to what you're doing in their life and what you're going to continue to do, Father. I pray that they will surrender their entire life, their heart, soul, mind, and strength to you, God, and to let, let them know that you are the answer for everything that they need, that they can be light and salt in the world. And God, we thank you for just, uh, just the amazing things that you are doing and will continue to do in their lives, God. Uh, God, we just pray that you'll do something supernatural this week, that you'll get glory for, and that, uh, that the world around them, the friends, the people they have influence in, God will see the difference in their life and that they are drawn closer to you. God, we thank you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we love you. We worship you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, so good to see you this morning and uh, so glad to be with you in worship. And so uh, let's, let's all uh, stand together, if you will, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, start with our worship time today.
say amen. We serve a great God. There is none like him, none like him. Thank you, Father. This next song just says, Come thou found of every blessing, tune our hearts to sing your grace. And we just want to sing from our hearts to our Father and just thank him for his grace and his mercy. Oh, to grace how great a, day, a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. We need our Father every day in this world. We just need him to, to be our, our source of everything that we need. Let's sing this song to us.
sem medo.
spirit and in truth God we thank you for your word we thank you for the power in your word that changes lives God we pray that as we hear your word today God that we will be made to be more like you father Lord help us to love each other help us to love you with all of our heart soul mind and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves father God we thank you again for this opportunity just to be in your presence we don't take that for granted, God. We love you and we worship you today. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Who am I? Am I what I do? An artist? An accountant? A teacher? A mother? Or am I what I've achieved? An honor student? An MVP? a winner? Am I the things I've done right? Or am I defined by the things I've done wrong? Am I a saint? A sinner? What about what others think of me? Am I all of these things? None of these things? Who am I? How I identify myself determines how I approach life. If I am what I do, I'll always need to do more and achieve more to find my value. If I am what others say, I'll always try to please people instead of my Heavenly Father. But if I listen to who God says I am and embrace His identity in me, I'll find the freedom to live out all He has planned for me. God calls me His child. He says I am wise and restored that I'm a brand new creation in Christ. I am chosen and holy and blameless before God. He calls me his masterpiece. I am loved by God. He says I am made complete through the grace and mercy of Jesus, my Savior. And when I see myself the way God sees me, I walk with confidence because I trust the one who answers the question, who am I? Amen. Identity is in Jesus. That's what we're going to be talking about today. How are we doing, church? Everybody good this morning? All right. Amen. Hey, uh, if you were a little cold, you're going to be warm today, right? Don't know exactly why. We got the fans rolling, keep the breeze blowing. Uh, but anyway, it's glad to be in the house of the Lord. If you're visiting with us today, maybe this is your first time, maybe it's your fifth time, maybe it's your 20th time, whatever it is, welcome. We're glad you're worshiping here with us. And if you're searching for a church home, a place to get plugged in, a place to belong, 
Man, we hope the Lord will lead you right here. God's doing an amazing work. We would love for you to join up as a part of his plan and what he's doing as we long to reach this community with the gospel, with the truth. If you're searching for a church home that stands on the word of God, preaches it unapologetically without watering it down or sugarcoating anything, you're in the right place. If you've never been in a place like that, you'll look like a deer in the headlights for a few weeks, but you'll be all right because God's word changes lives, all right? So welcome to Impact this morning. And as you know, a, a special week coming up, we're sending our uh, kids off to camp. So be in prayer over them as they leave tomorrow morning that God would move and work in their hearts and lives through the gospel. Yeah, they're going to have a great time, do some fun, cool stuff. Going to be whitewater rafting and zip lining and all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, the gospel is going to be preached every morning and evening, and the word of God will not return void. So pray for them this week and their safe travels as well. So diving right in, we want to get uh, started. We know we've been in a, a sermon series entitled Barrier Breakers, Overcoming Life's Toughest Obstacles. And it's a topical sermon series, and we typically preach here at, Impra at Impact expositionally, meaning that we'll usually take a book of the Bible and we'll go verse by verse through every verse, and we'll dig it out in context and, and, and everything and get application for God's Word. But we're always open to when God leads on a, uh, on a series that He wants us to preach that we can dive into some certain issues and topics that we all face and we all need answers to. Previously, we had done that a couple years ago with a sermon series entitled Counterculture. And we went through for 16 weeks and talked about every subject that the church is silent about in this world anymore. All right, so uh, you can check that out. But now God's led us into this where we've been looking at things and are going to look at things that we are all challenged with, that we all face. So we started our sermon series with how change is possible in Christ because of what he's done. We've looked at the second week at obstacles to change. Then we went through overcoming fear. Then we went to overcoming pride. Last week we were talking about overcoming doubt and living by faith. All right, if you've missed any of those, you can catch up with them. So now today we're going to talk about our identity in Christ, who we are. So the title of today's message is Overcoming identity theft overcoming identity theft when you, when you say the word identity theft we're all very familiar with that in the cyber age that we all live in because it's a very common occurrence for people's identity their financial identity to be stolen to be taken in fact in 2021 over 42 million people in the US alone had their identity stolen at a cost of over $52 billion. Once you think about that, that is, that is monstrous. But that's just financial. I want you to know today that there's an identity theft that's going on behind the scenes that's taken over people's lives, their hearts, and who they think they are. Because there's an enemy behind the scenes, and he's your accuser. He accuses you day and night before the Lord. Do you remember Revelation, the whole series? We just went through the entire book of Revelation for eight months. Well, yeah, I remember that. All right. But we learned that, that our enemy is an accuser of us and he is constantly at us. And we already know John 10, 10, that he's a thief and he comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And he's stealing people's hopes and dreams and he's stealing their identity and who they are. And they're, he's making people think and believe that there's somebody who God didn't create them to be. So there's a, a catastrophic event taking place in our society that there's no statistics for in general. 
because each and every one of us are in a battle, I would argue almost daily, definitely weekly, monthly, and yearly on who we really are and do we really matter. So let me ask you this series of questions. Have you ever in your life, and maybe this happens presently, do you ever feel like you don't measure up? Do you ever feel like you're not important? That you're not necessary? That you're not seen? You're not needed? You ever felt like you've blown it? Like you had an opportunity and you lost it, you messed up, and so because of that, now you've lost all hope and you feel like there's no chance for you? Have you ever felt like that? And here's a very personal question that's encompassed in all of it. And we've probably all asked ourselves this, maybe not verbally or outwardly, but in your quiet time, in your personal time, in your alone time, in your painful times, have you ever asked this question? Who am I? Why am I here? Does my life matter? Do I have a purpose? So, we're going to look and answer the question today of who are you? Who am I? Who are we? Not just who do we think we are, not what the other people think we are, or not to what even we think other people think we, you know, you get up, you get what I'm saying? It's none of that. It's to the very core of who are you. And it goes far beyond what's seen on the outside. So when we take off all the finances, take off all the, the job, take off all the success, take, up all the, take off all the makeup, take off the costumes, take off the fake smiles that we often put on, take off the hurt, take off the pain, take off the past, the abuse, peel away all the stuff and don't look in the mirror, but look in the inside of your soul and ask this question. Who are you? How would you answer that? Here's the problem. In our society, and we have many people around us that try to tell us who we are or who we should be. And if we don't meet those expectations or those standards, then we feel like we don't measure up and we automatically feel like that we're not enough and we're worthless. Here's the problem. We often look to society and people for affirmation and approval of our own identity. And if we do that, we're always going to be stuck in this cycle of trying to people please, of trying to measure up, of trying to fill our own expectations about who we think we should be. And it'll drive us to seek out things. It'll drive us to try to look like certain people. It'll drive us to try to act a certain way. It'll drive us to do a lot of things that we never thought that we would do or even take part in in our life. Because here's the truth. We all know that forming our identity has a lot to do with our environment that we grew up in. It has a lot to do with our parents, with our experiences. It has a lot to do with our belief systems. They all play a role. But let me tell you this. All those things can and will change over our lifetime. So does your identity change through that process? Here's the problem many people do. And that's where they're not solid. They're not anchored in who they are. 
But God has a different plan because he has a design on each and every one of us. So what we're going to do right now today is we're going to answer the question, who are you biblically? We're going to take a look at how to overcome identity theft. We're going to take a biblical journey to find out who you and I are and how we can leave here today knowing and be anchored in the truth of who God called us to be. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you now to worship you, to praise you, Lord, to hear from you. Lord, our act of worship and praise, Lord, is not just about the words we sing. It's not just about checking off a box to say we were in church today. Lord, our worship and praise needs to be lived out with our lives. So, Lord, we come to you and we ask you to do in our life what only you can do, and that's change us. Erase the lies that are in our head, in our hearts about who we are, about what people say or think we should be, about what society says and think is popular or who we should be and what the latest going fat is. But Lord, let us be anchored today in your truth. And Lord, let us hear your grace and mercy and forgiveness over our mistakes that we've made and how we've messed things up. But Father, even inside of that, you still sent your son to die for us. That we could be forgiven and restored and renewed. And Lord, that we could therefore now have the ability to walk in newness of life. So Lord, help us today hear from you. Not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word. And that your spirit would move in us, that we can have life application to the message we hear today through the example of your word. Lord, we give you praise through everything you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have a copy of God's Word with you, and I hope you do, you can kind of put your thumb or one of your page markers of your Bible in Exodus chapter 2. Um, we're going to be in a little bit in chapters 2 through 4 there today. And somebody might be like, hold up, man, I thought this message was in identity. How are we going to get an identity message in Exodus? You'd be surprised, all right? So, but before that, we're going to catch up on a couple verses here um, in the New Testament that kind of give us some uh, anchor into the message today. But the reason we're going to be in Exodus chapter 2 and 4 is we're going to look at a man called Moses. And we're going to look at this man that God used who had one heck of a life's journey into figuring out who he really was and what God's plan was for his life. Have you ever been there? You ever felt like you're on this journey and, and you feel like you were where God wanted you and then something happened and somebody did something and you, or you messed up and then you, for, before you know it, you're, 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 you're off in Midian just chilling, not doing anything. But then God shows up and he calls you back to something. That's what we want to see here today and that's what we're going to learn from the life of this man and the example that we have in Scripture because what we're going to see is there's one point in Moses' life. He was where he was supposed to be for what God wanted to do with him. But he thought too highly of himself and he about messed it up. 
And then in response, he flipped around and thought way too lowly of himself, and he almost missed out in stepping out into God's plan and purpose for his life. How about you? Does that sound familiar? It does in mine. So I think we're all going to get application here today in our identity and our plan and a purpose that God has for us. All right? So I want to anchor with this point and start with this point. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Because this is our overwhelming theme. If you or I don't get an accurate, untainted view and perspective of who we really are, you or I will never fulfill the divine calling God has for us. I'm going to say it again. If you or I don't get an accurate, untainted view and perspective of who we really are, you and I will never fulfill the divine calling God has for us. So this has to do with who you really are, not who you think you are, not who you want to be. Who are you? How did God design you, create you? What plan does he have for your life? So to set the stage for what we're going to see in Exodus, I want to point us to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 10. And we all know Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. That's a very well-known verse. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Right? It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works so that no one can boast. We've got that. But did you know what verse 10 says after that? Because, yes, it's not about works to get saved. But once you are truly saved, believe me, God has a work for you and I to do. Can I say that clearly and unlegalistically? That yes, true authentic faith is evidenced by a work that the Holy Spirit of the Lord does in your life. That's how you know that you know that you know. That's how we're salt and light. Other people see Christ through us. That's what Jesus said, so that other people will see your good works and glorify who? You? No, your Father in heaven. So we can point other people to Jesus, so we'll have a testimony. That, man, once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was blind, but now I can see. And it's all about Jesus. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's about the him and what he's done. So we've got verse 8 and 9, but now let's read verse 10. It says this, and this is our, our basis for what we're going to look at today. Because we're in Christ, assuming you are, and you're going to give your life to Christ at the end of this service, if you haven't already, because you're going to feel wholeheartedly that your whole identity and purpose is anchored in him. And if you leave here without him, you're lost. So today, we're all going to see that verse 10 is going to be applicable when we're in Jesus. This is it. Because we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. I'm going to say that again. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hold up, stop the bus just a minute. That means before we were born, God had a design for your life. I want you to think about that. Man, it... it and he told the Old Testament prophecy, he said, but before I, you were born, I, I knit you together in my, in my mother's womb, and, and I set you apart for my holy purpose. We know all, those, all that scripture, all those verses from the Old Testament. But here it is again in the New Testament, that God didn't just save us to save us. God saved us for a purpose. 
for a race to run, for a, for a walk to live out. Don't miss that. You have identity and purpose. And I want you to see this. That means if he had this all designed out before we were born, that means he has a blueprint to your life. How many of you guys in here are builders? Anybody? Or I guess a lady can be a builder too. How many ladies are builders? That'd be pretty cool. All right? But you know that when you build something, especially something really big like this building, you don't just get a bunch of dudes together that, yeah, I can hammer some nails and I can throw some sheetrock up and do that. You don't say, hey, let's all get together and just kind of, you do this, I'll do this, and we'll just kind of see where it ends up. No! You don't do that. What do you have? Design. A plan. A blueprint. All the way down sometimes to, to types of screws and nails you need to use and the very specifics. That's what God has for you and for me. But will we ever figure that out? What would it look like if you tried to, to build your house of life without the blueprint that God has for you? It'll look all jacked up, I promise you, just like if they tried to build this building without the blueprint. It'd be all like, Wah. and that's what your life's going to look like if you don't get in God's blueprint for you. You'll never find your identity. You'll never find your purpose. You'll never live in the calling God has for you outside of his plan, his design. It's very, very clear right here. Here's the beautiful thing. That even if we've messed up, it's not over. It doesn't mean the plans come undone and it's no hope for you. We're going to see that in this example today. And we're going to see that also, yeah, there's, there's things in this life that will resist us, that will come against us. We've already talked about our enemy, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to knock you off of God's plan. He wants you to be deceived about what your true purpose and identity is so that you fail to recognize the purpose you have. So that's why we're going to take this journey with Moses here and look at his journey. And I want to make it clear that it is a journey, that there's a process to this. Yes, we're going to share some biblical truth today, and your eyes will be open. But you're not going to leave here today just after one service at Impact and be like, Ooh, glad I was there today. I, I know who I am now. <laughs> it's going to be a series of things that God does and works in your life and a series of things that God says to you through his word that will lead you and direct you and guide you to answer the, the question truly who you are. This is the guide to get you on the right path today to open our eyes, because we're going to see that Moses' journey is going to outline something that we can understand on who we are and that we do have a divine purpose, everything we just saw in Ephesians chapter 2 right there that we just looked at, all right? We're going to see that. So we know the story of Moses. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but let me just give you a little highlight before we enter into chapter 2 in Exodus here and start digging some of this out. If you back up, you know and remember a guy named Joseph, right? And you remember all the situations that Joseph had. You talk about identity and purpose and things not going right. There's a whole other message right there because everything kept happening bad to Joseph. And the Bible says God was with Joseph. God was with him along the way, along the bad things that were happening, even though when he would stand for the Lord, stand for righteousness and not get with, with, with another dude's wife. And he got thrown in prison. And the Bible says God was still with him. I want you to think about that. How many times do you and I, when bad things happen, we start doing a little deal with God and we start thinking, hey, God, if I'm doing this for you, man, and I'm standing for you, you got you to come to bat. You know what I'm saying? You got to do something for me. 
But what if God's doing something even in the bad, horrible circumstances that you and I face today? What if he's still there? What if he's still leading and guiding and directing us and has us on a path that he wants for us? You see, so often we think when God shows us something or, or, or when, when he reveals something through his word on what we're supposed to do, we think we're going to, whoo, direct path, just give me that, that one-way flight, baby, right there. That's not what happens. What he does, he puts us on a wagon wheel cart, missing a wheel, and takes us through the desert and the mountains and the rocky terrain. He, 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 wants, he wants to drop us down that cliff and, and, and see if we're, let me see if this brother's going to hold on. You ever felt like that? God's journey to where he wants to take us is not always easy. So anyway, you see that in Joseph. But I say that to say this, that we know that Joseph ended up second in command in Egypt. You remember that story after all he went through. And God used Joseph to help his people come through a famine, a bad, dark time. So now Joseph's gone. A new pharaoh's in town. All right, new sheriffs in town, and they don't know or remember Joseph. And all the Pharaoh's doing is looking at all these Hebrew slaves he has, and he's like, Man, we got too many of these cats. You know what I'm saying? I mean, one day these brothers could overtake us. They might team with our enemy and like kick our booty. So we better do something about this. We can't have this. All right? This is the 21st century kind of of the King James, all right, if you will. All right, so we're giving this story in perspective because I want to catch you up where you are. So this is the story. So there's Hebrew slaves, there are too many. The Pharaoh's getting a little cold feet, thinking it might overtake, so what's he going to do? First, he tries to give them a hard time. So we're going to make it really hard on these guys. But they kept multiplying. They kept getting more and more, all right? Kind of like a litter of cats. It just kind of kept growing if you don't stop it, all right? That's what was happening. So then the Pharaoh has to do something else. He said, man, this ain't working. So now I'll tell you what we're going to do. If somebody has a little girl, they can live. But if somebody has a little boy, a Hebrew, they got to die. I want you to think about that. Every child born, he tried to go through the midwives. That didn't work. So then he just said every child, not just born, but, but that's existing. Think about that. To give up a son. So now we enter into this story of this one man named Moses, because Pharaoh had initiated this, and the Bible picks up in chapter 2 by saying that there was a man and a woman who had a son. All right, if you, if you know God's word and you know everything that Moses is about to do through the rest of this book and, and how he leads the people out of bondage and everything that he goes through, one of the biggest characters in the Old Testament, and even the Bible, we know the, the main character of the Bible is Jesus. Old Testament points to him. New Testament talks about him and points back to him. It's all about Jesus, right? He's the main character. But then there's other important characters in God's word. Abraham would be one of them. Moses would probably be the next, all right? So one of the most important characters in God's word is introduced how? A man and a woman had a son. <laughs> Think about the anticlimactic message of that because you or I I mean I would think man if this is if this dude is so important if he's so great he's going to do such great things for the Lord and deliver his people for goodness sakes we got to have a lineage here we got to have a pedigree we got to have a bloodline this boy's got to be like coming from somebody the Bible just says a man and a woman and I believe that's there for a purpose because I'm going to tell you how you started or where you came from means nothing on the divine calling and purpose that God has for your life. It's about who you are. It's about God wants to do through you. 
And later, if you read through Exodus, you can later figure out that his dad's name was Amram. And that was kind of a messed up situation itself because Amram married, get this, his aunt. That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? So, so check this out. Amram was not only Moses' father, Amram was Moses' great uncle. I mean, that sounds like a story out of West Virginia, but it's in your Bible. <laughs> I mean, and here's the thing. Later in the Mosaic law, it would come that you can't do that kind of stuff, all right? You can't marry inter, you know, within the family and all that. But at this time, when God was trying to populate the earth, he let those things happen and he protected that, okay? So that's where we're at. So it's kind of weird, but I want you to get this. Even inside of all that dysfunctionality, Moses' mom and dad wanted to stand with God enough and thought enough of Moses to go against the king's decree and protect him. And they even show up in the Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. But just think about that. So here's Moses' start on his journey. He's in a less than ideal situation. He's thrown in a basket, for goodness sake, the first months of his life. Then he's having, after he's weaned off his mom, then he's raised away from his parents in a stranger's household. Does that sound like God's plan for somebody? Not how we would write it out, but I want you to think about what God's doing because God has a bigger picture, a greater purpose than circumstances that we're facing. So Moses was in a not ideal circumstance, raised away from home. But I want you to see this. Because of where he was, not only did he get the finest foods, the finest clothes, he got the finest education he got to learn about how the leadership in Egypt worked. He got to learn about all the, the lowercase g gods that the Egyptians worshipped because God was going to use that later for him to understand something about the people he was going to come against to deliver God's people. So even inside of bad circumstances, God was preparing him for something he wanted him to do. Lord, please let us get your word today. Because I believe there's somebody going through something horrible right now, and you don't understand, and you don't have an answer why, but God's just asking that we trust him. Please go back to last week's message about living by faith, because I think it'll move you as well. So, he's floating in his basket, picks up, living in this other household, but not only did he have all these things, have this education, become a powerful leader, he was the prince of Egypt. Anybody that has a degree in hierarchy, you know that the prince is going to do what one day? I'm the king. Next in line to the throne. Boy, that's a great place to be if God wants you to deliver his people, isn't it? Does that make sense? You never thought about it that way, have you? God had him in a place where he was next in line to become the king. So when this pharaoh kicked the bucket, whoop, see ya. Now my king is going to let my people go. Maybe that was God's design. I don't know. We're not privy to that. But ultimately, God's going to take him a different path, even in the midst of something that's going to give us a message today, even when Moses messed up. Even when Moses messed up. All right? So that leaves us where we need to be right now. First of all, our first point as we get four major points today on how we can know our identity and overcome identity theft is we need to know and realize, number one, if you're taking notes, that God sovereignly uses the highs and lows of our upbringing and life 
and uses all of it to place us in the middle of his path. God sovereignly uses all the highs and lows of our upbringing and our life and uses it all to place us in the middle of our path. He uses it to place us in the middle of our Ephesians 2 verse 10 calling. The things that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're his workmanship. We're his craftsmanship. We're his design. He's got a plan. All right? So Moses knew all these cool things, and God was going to use it. Moses was going through some bad circumstances, but God was using it to place him where he needed to be. All right? So here's the question for some application. What are you working with right now? What's your past look like? What's your upbringing look like? What environment were you raised in? What circumstances have happened in your life previously, maybe are happening now, that God's trying to use and, and go through, and some of it's not, not um, really what you would have it to be. A lot of it maybe even is not your fault. It's because of the result of sin of somebody else. But how is God going to use that or wants to use that still inside of his purpose and plan? Are you an overachiever? Are you an underachiever? Are you a type A or type B personality? Are you educated? You're uneducated or educated? Did you have a great childhood, a challenging childhood? Are you insecure through all of it? Did you know that every single one of us have insecurities? Did you know that? We do. I do. I'll be first to admit that. I'm insecure. Are you? We all are. Some of us just fake it in different ways. <laughs> But we all have our own insecurities that we deal with and wrestle with. And a lot of it's because of things that have happened to us in traveling through this journey that we're all on for our identity and our purpose. And here's what the world wants to make us think, that we're all jockeying for position. So, so, to, so for us to find our identity and to overcome our insecurities, we got to squash somebody else and put them down to so make our own self feel better. And that's the sinful way. But we all mask it and fake it in different ways. But we all have our own sense of insecurity. All right? But God uses all of it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's Romans 8, 28. And you probably know that. You probably have that memorized. And if you don't, it might be a good thing for you to memorize today. And that's that for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things that happen to you and I are good, because they're not. But it says all things will work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Can somebody besides me get that message today? We need to get this, that God's using all of it to take us somewhere, to build us something in us. So we got that message just from that background story of Moses. Let's look now at our second point. As we start to read a little scripture in Exodus chapter 2, the second point is this. Thinking too highly of ourselves can mess up where God has placed us. Thinking too highly of ourselves can mess up where God has placed us. And some of you think, hold up, Brad, I thought this was a message on identity and purpose. I thought we're supposed to think great of ourselves today. You are within context. Because the opposite can happen if we flip the pendulum too far to the other way and we think too much of ourselves, and we become prideful, remember that message a couple weeks ago, then things, other things happen that are bad and we mess things up. We're going to see that in Moses. Let's look at Exodus chapter 2. Let's read verse 11 through 15 to get a couple more of our points here. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, all right? So we're out of the basket, raised up prince, all that kind of stuff. He's grown now. 
that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. That would be the Israelites, and he saw what they were going through. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Boy, that's a change, isn't it? All because of what? Pride, arrogance, sin. Let's spell it out. So let's look at this. So Moses got a little arrogant. Maybe he's thinking, hey, I'm next to the throne. You know, I'm going to be king here. I got a little power. And that led to further sin because he thought all of a sudden he had the right to call the shots on somebody's life. That he committed murder. Yes, it was an Egyptian. Yes, the Egyptian was doing wrong. Yes, he may have felt justified. Yes, he may have had the right interior motives that he wanted to help God's people and punish the people doing evil. But he took matters into his own hands in pride and arrogance and did something he shouldn't have done. How many times have you and I done that? A lot. So Moses did this and it ends up messing things up. It ends up God has him in the right place to do what God ultimately wants him to do. But because of this sin, because of this misstep, now he gets scared and he's got to run away to Midian. He gets out of the place where God wanted him. Now he's got the people that lead Egypt mad at him. And he's messed it up. And he has to leave. Sometimes you and I get in the right place where God wants us. We get the assignment right. We know what we need to do. And maybe even deep down inside, we have the right motives. But then when things get a little challenging, or maybe we get a little air in us, maybe thinks too highly of ourselves and where God has us, that we take matters in our own hands. We do things in our own strength, in our own way thinking more of ourselves than others. And it messes things up. It messes relationships up. It messes up the, the ultimate plan initially that God has for us, but it doesn't mean it's over. And that's the beautiful picture we're going to see. You may have messed up. I may have messed up. Moses may have messed up. But God's going to call him back to his purpose. What if maybe you messed up on, you felt like all hope is gone, and God's calling you back today to get on track and get back into this assignment, this Ephesians 2.10 calling that he has for you today. Moses may have even got a little too strong on his own Hebrew friend. Calls him out. Maybe rightly so. Maybe just trying to do another good thing. But maybe he come at him a little arrogant. Because what does the guy say? What does the Hebrew guy say to him? Who do you think you are, basically? Who made you judge? What do you think about that? 
There's a little sense of sarcasm pointing out his arrogance there. So maybe there was a little bit of pride that led to this. And as a result, maybe this guy, this Hebrew that, that Moses come and, and, and kind of took charge over and tried to put in his place without humility and, and speaking truth in love. And this guy probably went and told Pharaoh, who knows? So now is such, now Pharaoh's mad and trying to kill Moses. So Moses runs. It brings up our third point when trying to find our identity and overcome identity theft. Don't let people's opinion of you move you out of where God has planted you. Don't let people's opinion of you move you out of where God has planted you. Maybe a simple explanation to Pharaoh of what was going on might have sufficed as opposed to running. Maybe coming to your brother after you messed up and come out as a, maybe a little arrogant or prideful. Maybe if you own up, you'd be like, man, you know what? I was wrong, man. I'm sorry, brother. You know, I, I, have, I have situations in my life, too, where I go wrong. and I just, I just want to see us all be friends. You know what I'm saying? Why are you beating your brother up? I was wrong. Forgive me. Maybe a little humility would have gone a long way in stopping this whole process where he had to leave and go to Midian. I don't know. But ultimately, we can't take other people's views and opinions of us and run. We know the extreme is happening here. Moses had to basically run for his life. There will probably be literally no situation, maybe there could be, but most times not, where you and I have to run from people's opinion of us because we think they're going to physically kill us. But how many times do we run for our life from people and their opinions of us in other ways? Our life on social media, our life meaning our reputation, our life in our relationships that we run scared from and run, run away from because of opinions of others. So there's a message right there in that. But then our fourth point that we get from this text here that we'll look at, especially as we move into chapter three and four briefly to look at a few verses, the fourth one, don't think so low of yourself that you don't step out into God's calling and purpose. Don't think so low of yourself that you do not step out into God's calling and purpose. Because what we're going to see as we look in here through chapters 3 and then into 4, that, that Moses is going to give a series of excuses here in a minute. But first, Moses in chapter 3 is going to have this burning bush experience. Remember I said that God's going to show up and call you back even if you've messed up? What's your burning bush experience? Maybe it's right now that God's calling you back into purpose and hope and that things aren't all lost. But Moses has this burning bush experience where the presence of God comes that many scholars and most believe that this is Christ, this is Jesus, a Christophany here in the Old Testament in this bush speaking to Moses that he is calling him to something. And basically, he's going to essentially say, hey man, you know, where I had you was, was where you want, I needed you. Basically, and all those instincts you had to help my people and to come against the Egyptians because of the wrong you're doing, those were right, but you went about it the wrong way because this is what I need you to do. I need you to go back and set my people free. But there's a Pharaoh there that wants to kill him. Plus, Moses at this time, because of everything that's happened to him, now has some very deep insecurities. I want you to get that. The man who was once prideful and arrogant and thought too highly of himself because of life's circumstances and because things didn't go his way and because of what other people now thought about him, he thought too lowly of himself. How about you? 
have circumstances in life and what other people think about you because maybe it's some of the stuff you did or didn't do. Has, has it changed your perspective of who you are? Do you think more lowly of yourself than you should? Moses did that. Let me read chapter 3 in Exodus. Let's read verses 9 through 11 real quick. It gets some of this perspective. It says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. That's God saying, hey, I need you to see what's going on. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11. But, oh my goodness. You would think if we were on track and we were just wanting to trust God and follow God, you'd be like, whoa, God wants to use me to do this. Let's go. Old prideful Moses would have probably been, let's go. I got this, man. I was born for such a time as this. But because of life circumstances and insecurities, now he's going to question God. He says, and the Bible says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? What's the question we want to answer today? Who am I? Who are you? What's our identity? That's the first question that Moses obviously doesn't have answered at this point in his life. He's second guessing who he is. And he has a low self-esteem of who he is and who God says he is. Because he basically says, I'm a nobody. I'm a failure. I blew it. God could never use me. People don't like me. You ever been there? You ever done that? I have. Second thing, second excuse Moses is going to bring comes all the way over in chapter 4, verse 1. After God basically explains that, hey, I'm going to be with you, all right? That all these great things I'm going to do and use you for. Then he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. In other words, he's saying, who should I say sent me? He's basically saying, God, I, what if they ask me questions that I don't have the answer to? You ever been there? When God calls you out to do something, calls me out to do something, and, and you say, who am I? I mean, I'm, I'm lowly, I'm a nothing, I'm, I'm not a who's who amongst the hall of faith. But then the next thing is, well, God, I don't have all the answers. I'm not educated. I ain't been to some of my minary. You know what I'm saying? I, I can't answer all these spiritual questions. How are you going to use me? You ever been there? God's speaking to Moses, and Moses giving excuses back to him. So they won't listen to me. I don't have credentials. I don't have the platform. So what does God say? Essentially, he goes through this. After verse 13, sorry, back in, in chapter 3 about who should I say sent me, said I don't have all the answers. And now in verse 1 of chapter 4, now he's going through this. And he said they're not going to listen, but this is what God takes him through. He takes him through a series of situations that basically after this ultimate question of who am I, God's basically telling him, I'm going to be with you. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you don't have all the answers. It doesn't matter what other people think if they don't think I'm with you. It matters who I am in you. And are you going to trust me and obey me? Because he's going to say, what you got in your hand? 
Moses is going to be like, got a staff? What am I going to do with that? Throw it on the ground, God says. Bam! Serpent! Oh, That'd be wild, wouldn't it? Think about that. Now God says, it takes it a little step farther, now pick it up. What? Ain't hey, touching that thing? All right, man, if you say so, whoop, goes back to a staff. See, that's pretty cool. Okay. He said, but hey, but then I got something else. Take your hand, put it in your robe. All right, now pull it out. Whoop. It's leprous. What's wrong? Put it back in your robe. Whoop. Take it out again. Clean. You see, if they don't believe the staff trick, then go with the hand. The hand will work, right? And then if they don't believe the hand, you know, don't, don't worry about it. I'm still with you. I got a little thing planned out with the Nile turning to blood and all that. You see, God's just trying to call to Moses and give him some assurance that what, what doesn't make sense to man, God can do. How about you and me? When God calls us out, he wants to give us some trust and assurance through his word today that what doesn't make sense to man, God can still accomplish if we'll trust him. But can we step out in that plan and walk in it? How many times have we missed out on what God really wants us to do by having too low a view of ourselves? Basically, what God's saying here, here, here's the deal. Your credibility, my credibility, is not the issue. It's that you trust me, you take the focus off yourself and off your feelings, And then let me take what I already have put in you and by my power and my grace and my mercy allow you to be a part of what I'm doing and want to do and I will use you in ways that you never dreamed and you will accomplish more than you ever thought you could. That's it. That's it. But can we trust him to walk out in that? So basically my pride, my arrogance, your pride, your arrogance need to be in control. We can't feel like we need to call the shots because if we always feel like we need to be in control and call the shots, and we can use the excuse, well, I'm a leader. God made me a leader. I got leader characteristics. My great-grandma Ma told me I was a leader. My dad told me I was a leader. My teacher told me I was a leader. My professor told me I was a leader. I'm a leader. I just got to take charge. That's pride. It's arrogance. You don't need to take charge. What did God say? And Jesus set the example of, of what a leader looked like. A leader is somebody who serves who plays behind the scenes and not always takes charge and points the finger and calls shots. So we need to get that in check first or we'll mess things up. We'll mess our relationships up. We'll mess our church up. If we all got to call the shots and it's got to be our way and done our way and, and they don't know what they're doing and I know what I'm doing. I'm a leader and I've been to school and I've been, ah, stop, stop. Let's trust Jesus and locked arms together and go together and serve each other. All right? But then also, we can't think too lowly of ourselves either. We've got that message right here. We've got to be ready when God calls us to do what only He can do through us. In other words, you and I, we can't let the mirror define our identity. We can't let the scale define our identity. Can't let our pants size define our identity. Because if we let it, it will. And it won't turn out well for us. We'll be very insecure. Because Lord knows we ain't 18 no more. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you let people define you, they will. And they'll use you. And when they don't have use for you anymore, or when you cross their path or do something that they perceive they don't like, they'll turn their back on you. And then when you turn your back, they'll stab you right in it. 
Why would you let people define you? Because they'll change in a heartbeat. If you let money, job, success, hobbies, relationships define you, they will. But then when they're gone, you'll be hopeless and maybe even suicidal because you put all your life in something else that was going to pass away. So what does all this mean? If you look at Romans chapter 12, verse 3, I want to read that passage of Scripture for us, and you can turn there. We know what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 say to get context. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, in view of God's mercies, to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, right? Remember all that that we've talked about and gone through? But then it says also, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's will, God's plan. Then you'll know God's Ephesians 2.10 calling for you. How? Living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Deny the world. Don't walk in the ways of the world. Renew your mind. How? Through God's word. Change how you think, how you, what you say, everything through Christ. Then you'll know his will. Then you know his plan. But then there's a verse 3. And it says this. It says, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone. Somebody say everyone. Everyone who is among you. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly as God has dealt with each one a measure of faith. And then, of course, the rest of that chapter goes on to talk about some many members and their purpose and their design. That's what we're talking about here. It's figuring out God's plan for your life, submitting, surrendering, making yourself a living sacrifice to him. That's denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus, right? That's not trying to save your own life because if you do, you'll lose it. That's losing your life for Christ's sake, and then you're going to find what you're looking for, okay? And then we come to this, and it says that we need to have a sober judgment about who we are. We don't need to think highly about ourselves. What does sober mean? Sober means I'm not under the influence of anything. We need to have a sober judgment as we think about who we are. We're not under the influence of ourselves, our past. We're not under the influence of other people and what they think about us. We're not under the influence of society. We're only subject to God in our judgment. And then we will find out what we're really looking for. It's our thumbprint. It's our DNA. I want you to think about that. Just like your, your thumbprint, you know this, that nobody else in the world that's ever lived, that lives now or ever will live, ever had the same design on their thumb as you. What do you think about that? Inside your body, you have something called DNA that you can't see. Nobody that's ever lived, nobody lives now, nobody that ever will live have the same DNA as you. You are that special physically to God. There's no one like you literally. No one. Now I want you to get this picture. Just as unique as you are physically to God, you're that unique spiritually to God. And there's something he wants you and me to do that he maybe can't do as well through anybody else. And he's waiting on you and me to step out and give him our life so that we can, because we're his craftsmanship, and he wants us to walk in something so beautiful, so perfect, that doesn't look perfect. Look at Moses' path. Look at Joseph's path. But at the end, it works for something that we see God do the supernatural in and through us. That's what God wants. So what is it? But what's the prerequisite to Romans 12, 3? The prerequisites, verses 1 and 2. Renew your mind. Sacrifice your life to Christ. Get an accurate view then on who you are. Beautiful. That was God's solution to Moses that we just saw when he asked basically the question, who am I? He basically said, you're everything if I'm with you. 
Remember, Jesus would even say that. He said, man, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You want to do something in life? You want to have some great things? Stay connected to me. Because if you don't, what happens? What can you accomplish apart from Christ? Nothing. What does your marriage look like apart from Christ? Nothing. What do you think about that? What does your job, your finances really look like apart from Christ and honoring him in them? What does it look like? Nothing. What does it amount to? Nothing. What does what the very church, the bride of Christ, look like if we don't stay attached to the vine and the truth of God's word? We're basically a country club, a glee club, doing a bunch of nothing. We have to stay anchored to the truth and to the one who is the truth. And we have to present the truth in love and not compromise or back down in every situation because that's where God works. And Jesus set the example for all this as we close. Because I know everybody's warm and I'm warm. I probably got them like history teacher sweat rings. All right? We can't get so caught up in the outward external appearance. Because there's a race in our world and our society for that. I mean, people go to great lengths to be somebody else, to be somebody who they're not. We walk into a hairdresser with a picture of Brad Pitt, and we have three strands of hair, and we give it to the hairdresser and say, make me look like that. That can't happen. We go on diets and spend all kinds of money and feverishly doing all kinds of things and buy equipment that gets thrown in our closet, and we're just on this wheel, 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 trying to make our outward appearance just be like somebody else on TV or a magazine. We go through the extent of, of spending all kinds of money, even on surgeries and, and, and plastic surgery and different things to, to totally transform who we are. Not too long ago, I saw a lady who had so many plastic surgeries and facelifts that when she sat down across her legs, her mouth popped open. <laughs> right? Guys, we're in such a race to be somebody else, to look a certain way, and God wants us to be us. Let me get this straight. There's nothing wrong with us wanting to take care of our physical bodies. We should. But we have to get an accurate view of that. We have to get a sober judgment of that, of who we are in God. And then we can have all those other things. We can have money, success. We can have great jobs. We can have great relationships. We can, we can yes, stay fit and stay in shape. We can dress nice. We can make ourselves look pretty or handsome, whatever. That's cool. That's all great if you keep it in perspective and you don't let it own you. Because that's not what God wants. Jesus set us the example of where our identity is and is found. And God gave us an example in Christ. I want you to think about when Jesus, before he started his earthly ministry, when he fasted. And then he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit of the Lord. I want you to think about that. Led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Right? And then he was tempted. And he successfully combated each of Satan's attempts to tempt him with scripture. And he comes out and then he gets baptized and he comes up out of the water. And what does the Bible say happened? And the spirit of the Lord descended upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven said, what? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The example happened again right before he went to the cross on the Mount of Transfiguration where he was up there with Peter, James, and John. You know the story? And then Moses and Elijah showed up, and Jesus became in his glory like God and was bright. And then a voice from heaven in the same situation came and said, this is my beloved son. What was God trying to say? 
that our identity is in him. And yes, Jesus is God, but the examples being set that even the, what God needed in his humanity at the time, even though he was 100% God and 100% man, he still anchored his identity in God and God affirmed his identity in him. I want to hear, I want you to know today, if you're a child of God, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you're in Christ, I want you to know this and I want you to hear this. You're his son. You're his daughter. And he's pleased with you because of Christ. Not because of who we are or what we've done, because all we do is mess things up. But because of Jesus, we're now heirs to the throne. We're now a child of God. And he, get this, he loves you. Even when you mess up. Even when I mess up. And get this, not only does he love you, he likes you. And someone needs to hear that today. That God's not down on you. Yes, there's a lot of things that we do that he doesn't like. But if you're in Christ, he still likes you. He still loves you. He's not a cosmic cop waiting to pound you every time you do something wrong. Yes, there's guidance and direction through his word to correct you like a loving heavenly father, just like you do your children, to get them back on the path they need to be on. But ultimately, he loves you, and he does all that because he loves you and he loves me. And he's not down on you. And not only that, did you know that Jesus intercedes for you? He goes to bat for you. That's what the scripture says. Romans 8, 34, Hebrews 7, 25. You can go back and read that later. We don't have time. That he's an intercessor for you to the throne, to, the, to, to God. And he goes to bat for you. Did you know that when, when, when Peter, before he was set out to, to do everything God had called him to do, Jesus let Peter know a little something, something. He said, hey, man, Satan has asked to sift you all like wheat. That means he's asked to jack you up, tear you up, and spit you out. But what did Jesus say? But I've prayed for you, Peter. Anybody else in here feel like you're getting jacked up and spit out by an enemy and by a world that has, wants nothing to do with you and doesn't care one thing about you? But did you know that your Savior, your Heavenly Father is there and Jesus is interceding for you and he's praying for you and he's cheering you on? Just like we talked about, about the little baby that when he starts to walk and he falls, we don't say, oh, come on, little kid, what's wrong with you? Why can't you walk? No, we celebrate. Did you see that? He took two steps. That's awesome. Come on, man, get back up. Let's do a little more. You see, God doesn't just pound you with the failure. He celebrates the steps. Will you and I continue to take the steps in the path that he's called us to be on? Yes, we will fail. Yes, we will mess things up. But when we get our heart right and repent and fall back under the authority and the rightship of Jesus, he will lift us up and put us back on the path for Moses, it was to see God do the miraculous and part a Red Sea and do everything that God done. But what's it going to be for you and me? We'll never part a Red Sea. But what does he want to do with you? Maybe he wants to use you to, to reach people in your family that are lost. Maybe he wants to use you to reach people in your neighborhood that are lost, on your team that are lost, in your school that are lost. Maybe he wants you to, to reach people just to be an example of Christ to people you may never know what people think about you or say or that they see Christ in you. They may never let you know, but God will still use it. 
What has he called you to do if we just step out? Because only when we have that accurate view of our identity and who we are in Christ will we be able to step out and walk in the plan that God has for us. You have an Ephesians 2 verse 10 calling. You are his workmanship. He planned it out beforehand and he wants you to walk in him. Will you surrender your life to the one who loves you and has a better plan than yourself, your friends, or the world has for you today and give it to the one who knows it all. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. All that comes to this point, I want to know if there's anybody in here, you might just honestly say, Brad, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. I've been in church. I've heard about Jesus. I knew about Jesus, but I don't really know Jesus because I know I'm still living for myself. And today I want to make a change. Today I want to right the ship, to turn it around, that I want the spirit of God in me, that I want to be forgiven, renewed, restored. And I want to surrender and commit my life to him. If that's you, I want you to do that and do business with God. I'm going to lead you through a prayer from your heart to God's heart that I want you just to speak out to yourself, to God, and do business with him. Or if you're here today and you say, Brad, I've walked in and out of church doors a lot. And there was even a, a time where I committed my life to Christ. And man, I, I know that, that, I'm, that, I, that the Lord's in me because there was a time where, man, I was walking with the Lord. And, and, and God was doing great things through me. And, and maybe you even walked with him a majority of your life. But lately, man, life's just got a little tough and stuff's knocked you off balance. You're starting to maybe lose your identity and who God is. Maybe you feel like you've messed some things up like Moses and you feel like God can't use you. So it's just giving you an excuse to drift away. But God right now is giving you a burning bush experience and he's want to call you you back right now today. I want you to answer that call. And I want you to do the same business from your heart to God's heart right now and get back on track with him right now. Rededicate your life to him. Say, God, I'm yours. Forgive me. Run back to him like the prodigal son. To do business with God like that for the first time or to rededicate, I just boldly and unashamed want you to do business right now and just say, dear Lord, I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior. I've messed up. I've been living for myself or the things of this world. And Lord, right now, I want to repent. Through your spirit, Lord, your word has, has given me a change of mind that I know is going to lead to a change of heart, which I trust in you through sanctification is going to lead to a change in my actions because I'm surrendering, giving it all to you. I'm not holding on to anything else right now. You're, you're my all. And you have all of me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus to die on the cross, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that, that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Lord, for taking my place, paying the penalty that was due me. And then thank you for three days later raising from the grave, proving that you are God and, and that Jesus is God and he is Lord and that he stands alive in victory over all hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, right now, I want to claim and walk in that same victory right now in my life. Lord, I need it. My family needs it. So I surrender all. And every step I take and every breath I make from this point forward will be for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. 
Amen. If you did business with God right there today for the first time, or you did business with God and you rededicated your life today at this burning bush experience, and you're coming back to right the ship, boldly and unashamed, no one looking around, would you just raise your hand and say, Brad, I need you to pray for me. Life's hard, life's difficult, but I'm coming back to Christ today, or I'm coming to him for the first time, and I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Amen. You can put your hands down. We're going to close our service like we do every week here at Impact, and I'm just going to ask you, even as warm as it is right now, that if whatever God's doing in your heart right now, that you would put action with your feet. We've always said here at Impact that we don't have a stage, we have an altar. This isn't about a performance up here, it never will be. It's always about Jesus. And whatever God's doing in your heart and your life right now, maybe you made a decision for him. Maybe there's something else going on in your life that you need prayer over. There'll be pastors up here. We can talk with you, pray with you. Maybe you don't need us. You just move right past us and do business with Jesus. Maybe it's a, a loved one that's lost that needs prayer over. Maybe you had a bad financial, um, maybe you had a bad financial situation going on, a bad situation in a marriage or a relationship. Maybe you had a bad health report. Maybe you just need to pray about joining the church. Whatever it is right now, let's stand to our feet. Let's sing with all our heart, with all our voice. Right now, let's come as the Lord leads. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Yeah.
received him, he gave them a right to become a child of God. Praise you, Jesus. Let's give him a big round of applause in this place for who he is, what he does in our lives through his word. And as we say every, each and every Sunday, let's take this word, let's let it cultivate in our heart. Let's not just be hearers of this, let's be doers and let's go find our identity in Jesus. Get back on track to what he has called us to, our Ephesians 2.10 calling, and watch God go to work in our life. Love you guys. Grab somebody, bring them to church next week. Um, after service next week, we'll share our finances over the first half of the year so far. So if you're interested in that, you can hang out after service and listen to that. I promise you we're trying to fix the air conditioning. Supposedly a belt's been fixed, but obviously <laughs> it still ain't. So uh, anyway, um, we're working on it, and we'll keep running fans and doing what we got to do. So uh, pray we get it fixed this week. School's, school's getting ready to get started. That ought to get somebody moving. So anyway, and again, next week we're tearing down. So go make an impact for Jesus. See you next Sunday.